Well, hey, we're in John 15, John 15, and I have been working on this topic because these are the words of Jesus in John 16. One, I've said these things to you that'll keep you from stumbling. I've said these things to you so that you will keep from stumbling. Um, wow, if, if that's the case, Jesus, I want to know what you said. <clears throat> if, if, if in life, if there are chances or experiences where people stumble. The Greek word here, skandalizai, means just simply to fall, to fall out of the way. Uh, it's a very general term, but it has the notion of, of falling, stumbling, failing to stay in the path. And so I'd like for us <clears throat> to look at that again today. We're continuing to kind of work our through. You can see that again in 16.1, it says, these things I've said to you. Well, it seems to me that, you know, I'd want to know what these things are. What are these things that Jesus has said to us? Um, I, I want to call your attention uh, to a couple things here um, that we've already said that Jesus uh, showed that one of the ways that that is is for us to know our relationship with him. We're not servants anymore. We're what? Friends. Yeah, where he said, I no longer call you friends. We don't stumble when we keep love as the central priority. When we keep love as the... He said, look, th this is my commandment, that you love one of the, You're not going to stumble... If you keep this central, what is central is not just information and knowledge and going to Bible studies and learning, but keeping love central. And we discussed that. If you want to listen to that, it's, it's recorded. And then last week we looked at it, and I felt like I was all over the place, but I was on antibiotics, so I have an excuse. Um, yeah. Uh, one of the things I think that keeps us from stumbling is re remembering who initiated this relationship. Jesus said, you didn't choose me. I chose you. It comes back to the nature of God. Whether God loves everybody or not, the notion that God, as I suggested, and I think you know, you know some of our historical understanding here, that God, in fact, does love everyone and that God is interested in desiring. So I think to keep from stumbling sometimes because we live with a sense of shame or we live with a sense of I'm not good enough, we've got to remember, hey, you, you didn't start this. I did. I chose you. From the very fact of Jesus coming to this earth, he chose human beings to follow him and to be his disciples. I, I remember some years ago, I was uh, having a conversation with God, which sometimes I do. And uh, uh, <clears throat> I was uh, uh, discussing something. I had to go speak at this place. It was probably the largest place I'd ever spoken in my life. You know, there were nine people. And, uh, <clears throat> and uh, no, it was more than that. It was a, one of our large conventions, and uh, I was freaking out. You know, I thought, a um, couple of reasons. Um, you know, uh, I don't want people to think that the university I work at is led by an idiot, uh, you know, um, or that the person that chairs the Bible department is, a, is, a, is stupid. And I remember in that hotel, some final hour before the, before the meeting, this occurred to me, I'm praying and asking for God to help and to guide my thinking and help me to not get off on a tangent as... I am want to do. And I remember saying this to God. And, 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 I, and I sensed the Lord agree. He, I, I said, hey, you know what? Let's be clear. I didn't ask for this. <laughs> I didn't ask for this. I wasn't I wouldn't dealing for this. I didn't ask to come speak here. I didn't try to wheedle my way in. This was your idea. So you got to help me. <laughs> right? Do, do we live with that sense that, that, that we know that Jesus is the one who initiated the relationship? No man seeks after God, Romans 3.10 says. God is seeking us. And so I think that's important. Now, now let, let's continue. Uh, I think there, there's another thing here that I'd like to look at, and it has to do with to keep from stumbling, and that's this, knowing the goals of being chosen. He said, you did not choose me, but I choose you, chose you. And maybe the word goal is too, um, too uh, unpersonal un or in, impersonal, but notice what Jesus said. You didn't choose me. But I chose you that you would go and bear fruit and that your fruit would remain. Uh, it, it is a feature of this, I think, to keep from stumbling, to know that, that, that here Jesus does speak to this matter of productivity. Um, sometimes I think Christians think that, uh, that, that being a Christian means just feeling good and having a lot of good feelings and, and uh, uh, doing, going to religious practices. But there seems to be here in Jesus' understanding to say, look, I chose you 
for you to bear fruit. Um, There's a world at stake. When I tell my students before, God loves you, but he doesn't love you more than he loves the whole world. He doesn't want to just make you think, you know, you can just kind of lay around and slop around and, and spend the rest of your life not being involved in anything. God loves the world. He, he wants to get the same message to, to others that he got to you. And so Jesus said, I, I've chosen you that you would bear fruit. Now that's all related back to 15.1 where he said, we don't bear fruit on our own. We bear it by remaining, abiding. I translated the word abide or minnow as stay put in Jesus. We, we, we bear fruit by staying put. Not, not by flittering around or bumping around, but, but saying, look, I'm going to abide in Jesus. I'm going to trust him. I told you before, my father-in-law, Becky's dad, was a farmer. And I don't get farmers uh, very well. And it's a wonder I'm still alive. Because some of the things I said to him um, that were city boy stuff. But I watched him over the years, and I realized the patience and the time and the trust that it takes to grow a crop. It, it, there is. I mean, I would be digging the seed up every day to see how it's doing. <laughs> how are we doing today? Okay. I think it's growing, right? I dig it up every day, you know, because I, 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 can't, I can't stay put. I, I, you know, I, I'm, I, I'm plowing the field, you know, I'm thinking, we're going to do this corn, you know, bird, you know, um, you know, you know um, road starts going like this. Jesus said, if you abide in me, you're going to bear fruit. And he says, and it's going to be fruit that remains. Now, there's a lot of discussion here. And, I, you know, you have to ask yourself, how much do these disciples know? What do they understand at this point? Um, you know, Jesus is using a figure of speech here to say that your life is going to be productive in some measure. Whether or not they understood all the details that, you know, theologians do that. We come back now and read back into it, all this stuff. But Jesus is simply saying, look, if you remain in me, something's going to happen. Your life is going to have some substance here. Your life is going to have some kind of result. I, I again, tell my students sometimes, uh, you know, um, I've been in ministry for about, you know, 30, I don't know, how old am I again? Let's see. Carry the two. Do I didn't have trouble with math until I started multiplying letters. And then, but uh, actually, actually about 40 years, about 40 years. And you know, um, I've, I've had friends and for different reasons that would have gotten a ministry and got out. You know, something starts happening after you've been in ministry about 20 years, 25 years. All of a sudden you start meeting people that you served and then they shared it with someone else and now all this thing begins to get what we critical mass, you know, where it starts getting bigger. I always say to my students, stay in it long enough that God can do something, right? Stay in it long enough. What if Marty would have quit after eight years? You know, Marty said after the eighth year he was here, he said to himself, who would want to go to this church, <laughs> right? What if Marty would have decided, well, you know, it's kind of hard. After eight years, I think I've done enough. What do you do? He stayed. He remained. And Jesus said, you remain in me. You're going to bear fruit. Now, some of us have to leave ourselves alone, see, to say, let God's timetable be that. Let me, let me suggest, maybe I'm reading back into this. It's possible. That's a theologian's job to, you know, make the unscrutable. Scrutable? <laughs> yeah, I think so. It's like a friend of mine, you know, you gack that up. I said, how do you ungack it? it so, you know, I, I, we may be reading, but, but the rest of Scripture tells us, I think, that as we abide in Jesus, what the fruit is, I'm going I'm to give you two little categories here, and you can write them down if you want to, or make a grocery list. Um, here they are, I think. The, the, the fruit that Jesus is wanting in our lives is in the area of character, who we are. Fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, you know, you know that, that this fruit, I would suggest that Jesus wants to have, and it, it's fruit and then it remains, is character to where it's who we are. I love what Dallas Willard said. He said, quit worrying so much about what you do and, and be concerned about who you are. Who are you? Who are you? 
Who's the person you're becoming? So the fruit that, that Jesus may be referring to here is character. That we're becoming the kind of people that bear the character and evidence of Jesus. The other one <clears throat> might be, again, and you know, I think homiletically or whatever that means. Some of y'all are going, well, homiletically. Anyway, um, uh, uh, not only character, but perhaps converts. And we don't talk about this much, but you know, I, I, I lost my voice a couple weeks ago, started coming back, told my students to pray for me. And then I said, now, wait a minute, how are you praying? <laughs> Let's get this straight first. I ask you to pray for me, but are you praying I get it back or not get it back? So we got to find out what's going on. I get a little morbid when I lose my voice because it could get serious. You know, uh, Becky has, it's been wonderful to house for the last two weeks. Quiet. You know, the thought that occurred to me, how often have I opened my mouth to speak, not in some kind of pedantic or some kind of forced, some kind of scheduled way, but how often have I opened my mouth and used my voice to speak of Jesus? What if you lost your voice today? What if I lost mine? Would I be happy the way I've spoken and how I've used it? Or would I think I'd give anything in the world to have a voice back, to be able to just speak of him? I'm not talking about that you've got to have some kind of evangelistic place. If you've got one, that's fine. Uh, that you have to go through four steps to peace with God. I'm talking about where you just open your mouth about what Jesus is doing for you. There's a great book I've been recommending several times. I love it. It's called Speaking of Jesus, The Art of Not Evangelism. <laughs> it's great. Speaking of Jesus, The Art of Not Evangelism. It will free you up to talk about Jesus where you don't have to have some kind of outcome. You don't have to get people to pray a prayer. They don't have to bow their head, you know, while they're there at the gas station pumping gas, <laughs> right? Would you like to receive Christ right now? We can do it right now. I, you know, I, listen, I did that kind of stuff when I was in college. I'm telling you, I, I did that kind of, I would go to the gas station and think, hey, if you were to die tonight, you know, a guy look at me like, what? But... But I do think that there is some sense in which we need to be alerted. Jesus loves the world, not just me, not just you. I've said this, and I'm going to keep saying it. You know, I've been pressed and stressed and pushed a little bit here to say that this isn't just to guys, it's to ladies, to grandmas, grandpas, everybody. Where's your man? Dawson Trotman of the Navigators used to always ask his people in the Navigators, where's your man? Who's the person that you're pouring your life into to share about Jesus what you know? You know, for some of you, that's your grandkids. Don't, don't, don't think you've got to go downtown on Robinson Street and start preaching. You can, but you know. For some of us, that's your grandkids. For some of you, that's your kids. For some of you, that's a friend. For some of you, that's a family. It, 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 this doesn't have to be, you know, I used to say to, to my students, that, you know, uh, evangelism or sharing your faith is, you know, the penalty you pay for being a Christian. <laughs> you know, got to talk. Instead of saying, where's my man? Do you have somebody? Are you opening your mouth regularly? to convert or to help or to disciple somebody else. I, I, I've been amazed by the ministry of the Navigator. Started with six guys on the USS West Virginia. And now it's over thousands and thousands of people around the world. And, you know, some of you are sitting there saying, oh, Cliff, I can't do it. Listen, you know more than somebody else. You've had experiences with Jesus that others haven't. I tell my faculty at the school, I, uh, we have a new faculty member there, Pam. She's here in class, and she's been all worried about teaching. I said, Pam, you got to remember something. You've already forgotten more than these students know. <laughs> well, that's the truth. They don't. 
had a student come the last week of class down to the office the other day. Said he needed to find his professor, and I said, who do you need to see? I don't know. <laughs> What's his name? I don't know. You've been in class for 15 weeks, and you don't know your professor's name? Pam, I told you. <clears throat> <clears throat> You've forgotten more than they know. But, but the notion of, you know more than so, and, and even, let me say it this way. Even if you don't know more. You know, there are people that would love for somebody to come alongside of them and just walk with them. You don't have to know everything. But Jesus said, you're going to have fruit that remains. It's got to be character, I'm certain. And I'm certain that it's converts. Don't you want to say someday, as you come toward the end of your life, you know, my life counted. It mattered. Others came to know Jesus. Others came to experience life abundantly in him. We, we just, I, I know I'm not, I'm not talking about being harsh or, you know, kind of grabbing people by the throat. But I am saying, opening our mouth. If you lost your voice next week, would you be happy with how often you've talked to them? Would you be glad about the times that you've lifted his name up to others? Would you be pleased with saying, I spoke of him. I told others. Not in a preachy way. Oh, tell. Remember we sing a little song. Oh, tell what the Lord has done. Oh, tell. What's he done for you? Answered a prayer? Been with you? Guided you? Helped you, been present, brought people in your life. I, I think we keep from stumbling by knowing that Jesus called us to character and converts. Second, we keep from stumbling because of prayer. Uh, Jesus said that you would bear much fruit, your fruit would remain, so that. that that's interesting, the Greek term there, hina or the word, so that, purpose clause here. Whatever you ask in my Father's name, he may give to you. You know, <clears throat> to be frank with you, Jesus says some things sometimes that embarrass me. This is one of them. This sounds too good. Um, what's interesting here is how Jesus couches this and shares an idea that I think is pretty common in this respect. The most common feature, if you will, in any religion, as far as I can tell through some research, is prayer. Uh, the Pew Research Foundation America says that in their surveys that over 55% of Americans say they pray every day. 55, that's a large number. But 55% say they pray every day. Now, what that prayer looks like and what it sounds like, you know, what it, what it, we don't know. But one of the things that Americans seem to suggest that they pray on a regular, in fact, 64% of women say they pray very often. 46% of men say they pray somewhat often. And so this, this, this issue of prayer seems to be common in Christianity, certainly, and then if you think of other religions, even if you think when people talk about being spiritual, they talk about prayer. And Jesus makes a, a rather staggering statement here. Notice what he says. Whatever you ask the Father in my name, he'll give it to you. Now, here's the statement, whatever. Let's look at this. Um, And, and you know what? Uh, I don't want to frighten you here. Well, it won't frighten you, but who, oh, you know I got three people talking to me, so help me here. Okay, leave me alone. All right, here we go. Um, this is real raw with me right now. Um, I didn't want to teach on this today. I had every intention of avoiding it. Every intention. I can do that. You know, I can just say. We're moving on. 
course, I've never done that before, but... Um, <laughs> There's a couple of needs in this class right now um, of people that are on the verge of life and death. I uh, spent last night again with David Fatkin. Um, I've known Dave for 25 years. He always sits kind of in the back. He's my rock and roll Resource. You know when I have a problem with a rock and roll song? Dave? He knows it. Dave had a massive heart attack and is in critical, critical care. Ken Smith and I have been down back and forth to the hospital. And uh, we've been praying our heads off. I, I want to, I know this may, you know, I don't, I'm not trying to take advantage of my ability to do this, but we're going to talk about prayer, and then we're going to pray a little bit. I, I just feel like sometimes all we do is talk about prayer. We just talk. So I don't want to talk about this. Because if Jesus doesn't touch Dave, it isn't good. He went through the surgery, okay, blew a hole in his heart. Um, without all the details, it is so rare the guys at the heart hospital hardly even knew what to do. And uh, he's lingering between. Got the report this morning that they're trying to do some other things. They had to, um, they may not want me telling you all this stuff, but <laughs> it's serious. He's in our class. This, the name of this class is Real Life, and I'm not going to avoid hard things. I'm just not going to do it. I'm not going to dance around this. I'm not going to skirt it. I'm going to try to lean into it. What do you mean, Jesus? What do you mean by this? I can tell you this. <clears throat> as a theologian, as a pastor, and as a, as a, a teacher... This issue about unanswered prayer is something that often is unearthed when you find people who've either lost their faith or are right on the edge. Because they've either been told that this, what this means is whatever and you can magically say it, or they've just given up. My wife's in, you know, congregational care and we get a lot of information about sick people. And it will beat the living daylights out of you to pray for people. It's just real, isn't it? I'm not going to avoid this. I wanted to. I had every intention of it. I told the Lord, I'm not doing it. He said, yes, you are. No, I'm not. Yes, you are. Okay. <laughs> I, I want to look at a couple things. One is, in the ancient word, when it says, if you pray in my name. Now, it's interesting. Think about the Jews. They are a people who the name meant something. Right? What was the name? Yahweh. These people were characterized as people who knew something about a name. Vayahi. Yahweh. They wouldn't say it. They wouldn't write it. They wouldn't pronounce it for fear of using it in vain. We know this in, in ancient Masoretic texts, whenever they're writing the name of God, it's four letters, four, four consonants. Uh, whenever they're writing it, we see this in the Masoretic text. When they write the name of God, this is what it looks like. Won't even write it. See, when Jesus said, if you ask in my name, He's talking to people that have a long history about a name. The name. This is, this, is, this is what they call God. The name. Theologians call it the tetragrammaton. The, the word that cannot be spoken. The, the statement that cannot be made. The name. So Jesus said, if you pray in my name, 
with all that understanding that, that, that behind that name is a presence, a power, a person. It's not an incantation. There's a person here. You know, that, that's the feature of ancient Greek and Roman religions. Magic, amulets, little little. You know, remember Gladiator carries that little thing around with him and buries it and does all that kind of stuff, you know. Amulets, magic potions, herbs, all that to what? Manipulate the gods. To, to, to force them, to, to, to cause them to act. Because you got to get the right word, you got to get the right amulet, you got to get the right herb, you got to get the right chicken bone, you know, whatever. Whatever it is. Yeah. And magic is a, is a feature of the ancient world. And ancient religions, not Judaism, not Christianity. There's a name here that represents a person. And Jesus is saying, the name, my name, Yeshua, God, you know, it means Jehovah saved, Yeshua, I'm the one who saves. It's, it's, it, Jesus is a shortened form of Yahweh, Ye, Yahweh, Sus. Saves. Yahweh saves. It's a shortened version of Yahweh. So he's saying in the name of Yahweh, in, in the name of Jesus, the, 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 the Yeshua, the, 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 the one who saved, the God who saves. What you ask in my name, I'll do it. Now, let, let's, let's think about this here. You know, I, I try to think. I'm not trying to avoid it. You know, uh, this is from Greek mythology to the Cracker Barrel. Um, here we go. Some years ago, uh, we we're at the Cracker Barrel. My dad and I, when we were out in public, it was dangerous. Uh, <laughs> Becky and my mom just the whole time. What are they going to say next? What are they going to say next? What are they going to say next? We're at the restaurant. And guys, words have context, right? They mean something by the context. So we're eating and enjoying ourselves. My dad and I, you know, we're talking and imagine that. And uh, so the waitress um, comes over to us and says, is there anything else I can get you? And I said, a stack of 50s about that high would be nice. <laughs> and she said, if I had that, I wouldn't be working here. <laughs> what did she say? Anything. Right? I make my living with words. I want a stack of 50s. Well, I mean, we obviously know the context there is not that. Now, in understanding Jesus' idea here, perhaps, there's a larger conversation going on here. This isn't the only teaching on prayer, right? This isn't the only thing in the Scripture that tell us about prayer. So th this is part of a larger conversation. So what would it mean to pray in Jesus, in the name of Jesus, the person? By the way, I just we're probably not going to get there today. But look in verse uh, chapter 15. I think I can find it. <clears throat> about this idea about name. We're going to talk about persecution that Jesus is referring to. He says, verse 20, remember the word I said to you, a slave's not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they're going to persecute you. And if they kept my word, they'll keep yours. But all these things they will do to you for my name's sake. What? There it is. They're going to persecute you for my name. Why? Who I am. The Jews are going to persecute you because of who I am. For my name's sake. The idea of my name means that it is related, or if you will, it is consistent with the person with whom you invoke it. So let me ask you to consider a couple things. This promise is true. As long as our requests are consistent with the values that Jesus has. It's his name, guys. It's got to be consistent with the values that Jesus has. Now, you, you, we could spend a lot of time on that, but I wrote in my notes. Here's what I would suggest. I'm going to give you an example here in a minute. 
One of the values that Jesus has of primary importance is love, not coercion. Love, not coercion. There's a lady in the church I pastored years ago came to me or came to the altar one night. We were praying back when we had Sunday night church. Remember back when we, you know, back before we had VCRs, couldn't watch Wonderful World of Disney. I always resented that. Um, she came and wanted to pray and said, would you pray? And I said, sure. I knew her husband. He was a knucklehead. Um, he really was. That's why I'm not a pastor, as you can tell. <laughs> yeah. I would just say, are you stupid or don't care? Which is it? One of the, it's got to be. High compassion, Stanton, means Stanton. Lots of compassion. Yeah. And she came and prayed, and she was pretty tore up because life was tough for her. And she was praying, and, and she said, I'm just claiming that God will say, and his, let's say his, his, was it, say his name was Bob. Uh, I'm, I'm claiming and praying and telling and asking Jesus, because I know it's his will for everybody to be saved. That my husband will get saved. And she was demanding it. Right? And for some reason, my brain started operating in an area that I said, tell me why you want Bob to be saved. And she said, well, I want to go to heaven. I said, really? Is that why you want Bob saved? Yeah. We talked about it. I said, can I, can I pose a possibility? You'd like for your life to get easier. Is what you really want. Life's pretty tough for you right now. It's hard raising those kids by yourself. But you really are asking God to save him to make your life easier. Isn't that the truth? And she said, yes. Hmm. Wonder about that. See, she was saying, God, you make him become a Christian. God said, I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to make him become a Christian. And the flip side of it is, the reason you want to become a Christian is because fundamentally it would be easier for you and you'd like for life to be... And who doesn't want life easier? I mean, let's be honest. I'm not being silly here. But do you think God has any intention here to say, let's try to dig down here. Let's find out what's going on first. Let's dig down here. Instead of saying, well, I'm going to go to heaven. No, I want him to help me with the kids. I want to quit drinking. I want to quit going out at night and partying. This is very uncomfortable. She wasn't real happy, <laughs> but I think we unearthed it, right? What's the value here that can actually be sanctioned by Jesus' name? To say, Jesus, love, no coercion here. We're asking you to work and be involved. I'll tell you another one here real quick. I think there's another thing here. Is I, if I'm reading scripture in the log dialogue. Um, I think if it's going to be consistent with Jesus' name, we've got to be committed to growth and not escape. I'll try to explain that. Committed to growth, not escape. Um, you know, I've been sick the last few days, or a few days. Went to the doctor twice. Talked him out of a shot. It was wonderful. And, uh, you know, I was praying, oh, Lord, you know, I need to get well, and why do I have to go to the doctor, and all that kind of stuff. And it occurs, this has occurred to me way before this, but I mean others to say, you know, really, what I want is I want to escape. I just want to escape. I don't want any soul growth. I don't want any development. I don't want to become a person in which the person of Christ is more formed. I want to escape. I want out of this problem. 
and I want out now. Anybody with me? Yeah, I want out. So when I get sick, I'm not, I'm not saying embrace it. I'm not saying, oh, I'm sick and it's wonderful. I'm just simply saying this. You want out to escape? Or do you want out so you can grow? Can I develop as a person, as a follower of Jesus? Now, listen, I, I've been pretty healthy all my life, so I, this sounds real academic, I know. But if we're going to put Jesus' name on the end of this thing and say, whatever we ask, He'll do it, it's because we're committed to growth and not simply escaping. Does that make sense? Let me tell you, in the life of Jesus, I can show you that. Go to Hebrews chapter 4 real quick. Hebrews chapter 4. If this was, I wouldn't believe it, except it's in the Bible. I wouldn't. I'm sorry, chapter, chapter 5. I wouldn't believe this. I'm just serious. The, the Greek words in here are bizarre. Verse 7 of chapter 5. Speaking of Jesus, in the days of his flesh, he offered up both prayers and supplications with loud crying and tears to the one able to save him from death. But, but he didn't save him from death. And he was heard because of his piety. Greek word there, Eusebia, means one who is submitted to to God. Eusebia is the idea of, of being submitted, of being, of being humble before God. He was heard because of his piety, his willingness to be humble. Now watch this. And although he was a son, he learned obedience from what? What he suffered. See, did you ever pray that stupid prayer? Lord, make me like Jesus. <laughs> Uh-uh. No, no, no. I don't want that. I don't want this. I want to escape. He learned obedience. How? Through the suffering that he did. Now watch this. And having become made... What word you got there? Perfect. perfect. What? He was made perfect? How? Through suffering. The Greek word tell it's the Greek word perfect. It means it's the Greek word tell it means complete. Jesus was made complete. I thought he was already complete. He's God. As man, he is brought to completion through suffering. I, I wouldn't believe this if it wasn't here. See, Jesus didn't escape. He embraced it. I don't know what that means in every way. But I know this. That when we put Jesus' name on the end, I want to ask you to consider, is the real struggle you're having, is the real struggle I'm having, is my demand to escape, my, de my demand for ease, my demand, my demand for peace and, and tranquility, or is it to grow in my soul in Christlikeness? Hey, hey, let me tell you this. Don't do this at home <laughs> by yourself. W one of the things that happens when we have trouble, be, be careful to lean into the community. Don't lean out. W when Becky had cancer, there were days I couldn't pray. I know all about prayer. I couldn't pray. But I had others that were praying with me. And say, Cliff, we'll take Monday. We'll take Tuesday. We'll take Wednesday. We'll take Thursday. In that, in that time when I couldn't pray. Don't, when this, when this soul work is being done, when this development of your soul, of, of your life, don't get by yourself. Be with others. Let me, let me give you three things. I want to pray here in a minute. Man, I'm talking too much. I've got a deal. I think it's on your outline. Yeah. <clears throat> Here, here's some things I think in order to put Jesus' name on it, 
the person, again, remember this is the name. It's, it, 1 John 5, 14 said, this is the confidence we have that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. God's not going to give us what's not his will. I, I struggle with that. Thought. I mean, I, I'm praying for my friend Dave to get well. I'm thinking, I, this, this confuses me. Or, or, I don't want to be, if it isn't God's will, are we fighting God with doctors? This is crazy. This is all wrapped up in my brain. I don't know. Listen, sometimes the best thing we can say is, I don't know. The second thing, note James 4 says, you don't have because you ask with wrong motives. See, that's that lady back in Houston. I'm convinced. Her motive was for her life to get better. His eternal soul could have been in there somewhere, but it fundamentally was, I want my life to get better and this is painful. Our motives... Tell you a real quick story. A buddy of mine named Roger, CFO at a bank. Roger had terrible stomach trouble for years. We prayed for him, prayed for him. I pulled every trick out of the book. I prayed every prayer I knew. I got every theological idea I could line up. Nothing. We prayed and kept praying. I even left seminary and it hadn't happened. I thought, well, surely. And I even took a class on prayer in seminary. Imagine that. I know everything. Just ask me. <clears throat> if I don't, I'll make it up. <clears throat> We prayed for Roger, we prayed for Roger, we prayed for... And, and finally, um, several years later, he called me one day and he said, hey, I want you to tell something. God healed me. Of what? You know, I'd already given up on the stomach. He said, my stomach. I said, really? What happened? He says, really interesting. I was praying one day about my stomach and the Lord finally got through to me. I said, what'd he say? He didn't hear a voice, but since. He said this, your stomach problem is you're a control freak and you won't trust me. And I'm not going to heal this symptom until we deal with the problem. You're a control freak. You won't trust me. Your, your, your stomach is messed up because you won't trust me and that's the problem and I'm not willing to get the symptom off. I want to fix the problem. He said the minute he admitted that, his motives got right. God healed him right then. And then here's a verse, Romans 8, 26 to 27. In the same way, this Ken Smith and I, we, this is one of our verses we go back to. In the same way, the Spirit helps us in our weaknesses. Listen to this. For we do not know how to pray as we ought. But the Holy Spirit intercedes for us with groanings and utterings too deep for words. At 62, I can't tell you the times I've just gone to Jesus and said, I don't know how to pray. I told Becky last night, we prayed a little bit and we're walking out of the heart hospital. I'd say, Becky, I, I don't know. I, I just feel, I don't even know what to say. I don't. And I just admitted, Jesus, I don't know. I'm not going to avoid it. My comfort is that the Holy Spirit is praying for me. You know, if you're a follower of Jesus, he's praying for you. Just lean into that. So, uh, would you... Uh, Would you just take a couple of minutes? I'm going to ask you to pray for two things. Pray for Dave. Pray that Dave's body will start responding. He's 54 years old. Pray that God's presence will be with Eden, the family, as they wait. That's the hardest thing. They're waiting. Dave's unconscious. He doesn't know what's going on. You know? Pray for Eden. And then Teresa Lyman sits up here. Teresa's got a little uh, uh, grandbaby. If you're on Facebook, you've seen it. Is Isla, I think I'm pronouncing it right. When she was born, um, couldn't breathe. Tubes, they've been trying to take them out. She's asked the class. 
I, I don't, I, I'm not trying to take advantage of this, but would, could we just pray for a minute? You don't have to pray out loud. I'm going to just kind of lead us and just silently as we pray. Seems stupid to me to talk about prayer and not pray. I've got a couple of resources, by the way. You know, I've always got a book for you. You might take a look at those. But join me, would you? Uh, Lord Jesus, we have admitted we don't know that much. And we have admitted that you said something here that both encourages us and confuses us. Our experience doesn't always line up. And maybe because we don't completely understand it. But as a class with one of our friends, two of our friends who need a touch, we're coming to you in the name of Jesus right now. Not because we're good prayers, not because we're good people, not because we're smart enough to figure it out, or not because we got all the answers. But we have a need here. Our friends. And, and there, Lord, there are other needs in this room. But we come specifically for David. And ask that the healing virtue of Jesus would enter room 213. And that that body would begin to respond as you created it. To the wonderful doctors that use their gifts and abilities and wisdom to know how to get in there and make some changes. And we, we ask that with their knowledge and wisdom and all of the wonderful gifts that you've given us, we remember that every good and perfect gift comes from the Father of lights in whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. We accept that gift, that gift of medicine and doctor's wisdom. But now, Lord Jesus, through the power of the Holy Spirit, would you do what they cannot do? Would you complete what they cannot complete? Would you restore what they can only patch? Would you make new what they can only adjust? And we pray this for the glory and honor of Jesus. Would you grow our souls in all of this? Would you help us to be people of faith and confidence? As people around these tables, Lord, are lifting Dave's name, we now lift up Eden. We know, Lord, what a, what a burden this is for her to be sitting there hour upon hour with Helen there and the family and others. We call upon you to strengthen her in the inner person. We, we know Paul said that, that we're being renewed and strengthened. Lord, I pray that your presence, you'll just sense a hug from you. Whether that comes mystically or through the, another person that's in that room. Thank you for nurses that have knelt down on the ground in that room and prayed. Al, what a gift. Your presence came into that room when that nurse just knelt on the floor. And prayed. Be with Eden. The children. The whole family. Lord we're nervous. We, we'd, we'd be lying. If we didn't say that. Would you come and. Calm our hearts and. Deal with our nerves and. Would you. Help us. Not try to put on a. Big face or a. Thing, but to be just honest with you. Then Lord, this, this little baby, Isla, who we don't have any new report on, but we're asking that her lungs would develop, would grow. But again, 
Thank you again for every good and perfect gift from doctors and medicine and hospitals and people. Thank you for those. Now, Lord, do what only you can do. Bring life. Bring restoration. Be with little Isla and Lord, raise her up and, and enable her parents to be able to tell her someday that, that it was tough, it was bad, but God touched you. And the prayers of God's people were part of that situation. Lord, I pray that you'd raise her up to full health, to strength, that she would, she would know a, a touch right now, even as a little baby that isn't even conscious, but, but something would begin to happen now. Then I pray for Teresa, her grandmother, that is bearing the burden in her and little Isla's mom and dad and all that are involved. Would you comfort them? The, the word Jesus, you used the Holy Spirit, was he would be the comforter. So just allow him to do his work, to comfort. We know when the Holy Spirit shows up, that's, he's able to do that because that's his work. So comfort them and strengthen them. Lord, I, I just keep remembering the words of Hezekiah. We don't know what to do, but our eyes are on you. <laughs> we don't have some formula. We don't know what to do, but our eyes are on you. And so we pray this in the name, that big name, Yeshua, Jehovah saves. We, we pray it in that big name that declares God Almighty. We pray it in the name of Jesus. Amen. Just let the Lord bump you through the day. Keep praying. See ya.